This is not one of our favorite gospel passages, right? This is one that just doesn't seem to make any sense. That if our hand causes us to sin, we're supposed to cut it off. If our eye causes us to sin, we're supposed to pluck it out. That just doesn't make any sense. And the reason it doesn't make any sense is because we have forgotten what sin is. We don't know what sin is. Now, how many of you have ever were taught that sin is when you do something bad, do something you shouldn't, that that's what sin is? Everybody's been taught that since we were kids, right? Actually, that's not what sin is. Sin is what separates us from God. Now, doing things that are wrong, well, it's probably a, um, a byproduct, a symptom of being of living a life of sin, living a life separated from God, where we can't tell right from wrong and truth from falsehood. That's, so it's kind of a byproduct. In fact, the word for sin, the Greek word for sin, describes an arrow that has missed the target. It went the wrong way. It's been separated from God. Now, remember the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve? We were all taught that Adam and Eve were driven from the garden because they disobeyed God. We all all taught that? Yeah, we were all taught that. It's not true. Read the story. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God, what does God do? He comes looking for them. He wants to be with them. It was, it's always God's heart that when we disobey him that he would forgive us and restore us to fellowship with him for his compassion and his mercy and his love to completely cleanse us so that he can have fellowship with us again and continue to walk in the garden and have his conversations with Adam and Eve like they always did before. God comes to Adam and Eve and wants to embrace them. But they believed the lie. Adam and Eve believed the accuser that taught them that because they did something wrong, God was going to be angry with them and God wanted to punish them. And believing that lie, they hid from God and ran away from him in shame and fear. God didn't want to be separated from Adam and Eve. They separated themselves from him. And so when God came looking for them, they ran in fear and shame because they had believed the voice of the accuser. And you know what the Hebrew word for accuser is, don't you? Satan. Satan is just a Hebrew word that means accuser. We dress him up in red and we think of him as being, you know, the chief devil. He's really just the one who accuses our souls who deceives us into believing God must not love us. God must not care for us. God must be angry and want to hurt us. That's the voice of the accuser. And that's why Jesus, in the examples that he's giving us today, is telling us that if we believe a lie, if we believe the voice of the accuser, if we believe a deception, it's like tying a millstone around our necks. We can't follow God. In fact, we even wind up being tossed into the sea, right? We can't survive. We can't swim. 
because we have believed a lie. Now think of this in practical terms, okay? This actually happened to me. I went to Boston. Anybody into Boston? Now one of the things I discovered about people who live in Boston, they don't like tourists. And so I went to Boston. I was stationed in, the, uh, in Newport, Rhode Island in the Navy. And when I got free on a weekend, I like to go up to Boston. And I went up to Boston and I wanted some good seafood. Not that they didn't have good seafood in Newport, but I always liked, you know, some lobster and some oysters and all the great seafood you could get on the East Coast. And, and so I went up to Boston. And I wanted to go to the waterfront where I could get some fresh crabs or whatever. And so I, I stopped at a, at a gas station and I said, you know, how do I get to the waterfront? And he said, we, we go up here and, and, you take, and you take a left. So I go up there and I take a left and I realize at some point, it went, I went the wrong way. I should have taken a right. He intentionally gave me the wrong directions. And I believed him and I was off, off, off in the middle of nowhere. So I pulled into another gas station and I stopped and I asked, this is back when they had gas station attendants. And I stopped and I said, how do I get to the waterfront? And being a good Bostonian, he says to me, Oh, there's no water around here. <laughs> but you, you see, if we believe a falsity, if we believe a deception, then we get lost, don't we? And that's the accuser's job, is to constantly try to deceive us into believing God is angry with us. He's mad at you. Don't, don't go to church. You're not worthy to go to church. Don't receive the body and blood of Jesus. You're not worthy to receive the body and blood of Jesus. Stay away. And so people do. But when we come to God, then God fills us. I love that first reading. Adab and Medad, right? Adad and Medad, I forget the names of them. These, these two guys who were supposed to go to church. They were supposed to go to the tent, the tabernacle, and they didn't. And every, all the elders that went to the tabernacle, they were all filled with the Spirit of God and began to prophesy. You know what prophesy is? That's when the Holy Spirit fills you so much from the inside, it, just, it comes out your mouth. And it comes out your mouth in spontaneous words of praise, or it comes out of your mouth in a spontaneous song, or it comes out of your mouth in speaking the heart of God to the people. The Holy Spirit wells up. Jesus describes it as a fountain that bubbles up like living water and it comes out your mouth. Well, Adad and Medad, they didn't go, but, they, but, but the Holy Spirit came on them anyway and they're out in the middle of the camp and they're prophesying. And Joshua says, well, they shouldn't because they're not in the tabernacle. They're not in church. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They're out in the camp and they're prophesying. And Moses says, I wish everybody were a prophet. And of course, when Jesus comes, every, everyone does receive that Holy Spirit that wells up within them like a fountain of living water and bubbles forth from inside of us in spontaneous words of praise and thanksgiving and glory to God and music as we worship God from within our hearts. St. Peter says, God has poured his Spirit out on all flesh so that all of us are prophets of God. In this gospel, John kind of has, has a similar experience, right? He comes across people who are, who are casting out demons in Jesus' name. And, and uh, so he wants to stop them because they're not following, they're not one of Jesus' disciples. But Jesus says, that's okay. 
If they're for us, they can't be against us. Actually, in another place in the gospel, it says if they're against us, they can't be for us. It's like there's a sharp dividing line between the wheat and the tares, between the sheep and the goats. But this is the amazing thing. Nobody knows who's on which side of the line. We don't, I mean, we even struggle with it ourselves. One of the things that amazes me about that wonderful passage in the 25th chapter of Matthew, where God separates the sheep from the goats and, and everybody argues with God. The goats are saying, well, no, no, we don't, Jesus, if we had seen you sick or in prison or hungry, we would have taken care of you. But then those who are being ushered into heaven because they cared for the sick and the poor and the needy, they're saying, but Jesus, we never saw you sick. I'm sorry, Jesus, we didn't do enough. And they are being brought into the kingdom of God because Jesus said, whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We didn't even see Jesus. We don't even know where we are or where Christ is, but that's because he's everywhere. He is that which gives life to all things and makes them holy. What a powerful phrase, what a powerful, that's in our Eucharistic prayer. We pray that every week. You give life to all things and make them holy. God who permeates every atom of every cell of every molecule of the entire universe. God, whose energy is being itself. And there are those who receive that energy from God, receive that spirit from God and lets it, let them bubble it up back into them and come out their mouths in words of adoration and worship and praise. Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Here's the deal. Your hand and your eyes cannot cause you to sin. Your hands and your eyes cannot separate you from God. But our opinions can, and our false beliefs can, and our agendas can. James talks about that. He talks about those who so were wrapped up in wanting to maintain their status and their, and their position in life that they put to death the righteous one. We know the story, we've read, we've read in the Gospels how the scribes and the Pharisees, those who were in control in Jerusalem, they wanted to maintain control so that when the Messiah comes, who is rightfully king of Israel, they put him to death so they would not have to give up their own status and their own position, their own power and authority in this world. And pursuing all that they could grasp in this world, they have, in the end, nothing. It all rusts, withers, and dies, and they're left empty. It's our false beliefs and our attitudes, our opinions and our agendas that can separate us from God. And so we must separate ourselves from our own opinions and agendas, our false beliefs, anything that separates us from God, we want to cut it off like as if it was a millstone tied around our neck. We want to get rid of it so that we can follow Jesus. Only we can separate ourselves from God. 
And when we surrender our false beliefs and opinions and agendas and give ourselves completely and totally to Christ, all that we are and all that we have, then we can know his joy. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's like we don't get a choice in the matter. And we don't. Truth always makes us free. And deception always binds us. So deception is like that millstone that keeps us bound so that we cannot know God, cannot experience the joy and the freedom that Christ has for us. That's why Jesus says, cut the millstone loose. Get rid of anything that separates you from the ability to follow God and to worship him, to be that prophet of God that the spirit wells up within us into joy and freedom. And a lot of times we really get concerned about heaven and hell, right? This is interesting. Jesus makes this point and we miss it because we don't know about it. When Jesus is talking about being cast into Gehenna, Gehenna is a real place. It was a real place. It was a place on earth. It happened to be the town dump of Jerusalem where everybody threw their garbage and their refuse and everything got dumped there. For, and, and at some point, we don't know when, it caught on fire. And so because it's just a dump full of all this stuff, it burned for a hundred years. And so you could always walk past the dump and there was smoldering smoke coming up out of it. They called it Gehenna. Because here is the reality. We don't need to worry about heaven and hell being someplace out there. Heaven and hell is a part of here and now. And if we follow the truth and we live in the joy and the freedom of Christ it's heaven all the way to heaven and if we follow deception if we follow a false belief that somehow having power and authority and status in this world is going to make us happy then it's hell all the way from here on. Jesus says, if anything is holding you in hell, get rid of it. Get rid of your false beliefs. Get rid of your opinions, your attitudes, your agendas that keep you from experiencing the fullness of the joy of Christ and have heaven all the way into heaven. And that's the truth.